Mrs. Barber, if you would introduce yourself. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dana Barber, and like Alex said, I am the State Coordinator for Blind Services with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services. And how long have you been with ADRS? I have been um, with ADRS and AIDB uh, together since 2006. 2006. So I always want to say it's like 2020, so... You know, 14 years, and then you got to add two, so 16 years. Uh -huh. um, now, something that I see come up in the community, and, and I just want to make sure I'm always using the correct language, and I see some people and hear some people use vision loss, and then I also hear blindness. Mm -hmm. What is the correct um, term there? Yeah. Well, I think the um, overall term for vision loss would be visually impaired, mm. and I think that encompasses all of the classifications of vision loss. Low vision would describe someone who just has problems seeing print. Mm -hmm. um, legally blind is someone whose acuities are 20 over 200 or, or greater. Um, and then uh, total blindness is, of course, what it sounds like most of the time with no light perception. Okay. Now you mentioned that uh, low vision, um, some people may have difficulty seeing print. That was something that was brought to my attention by Mr. Kessler at um, mm -hmm. uh, the Independent Living Resources in Birmingham. Right. And I was sending out the weekly emails and he mentioned, hey, your font's kind of small. And so we, we almost doubled our font size and did a little color change there. It was something that I hadn't been aware of before. Mm -hmm. um, so we're always continuing to learn there. So I appreciate that awesome. insight. Um, now, what is your connection to the disability community? Well, mostly through my work. Mm -hmm. um, and I get to work with our professionals in the agency mm -hmm. uh, very closely. And then with consumer groups around the state, the uh, National Federation of the Blind and the Alabama Council of the Blind. Mm -hmm. um, there's professional groups like AER, and that is the Association for the Education and Rehabilitation for the Blind. So uh, very connected through all of those groups. And about how many individuals would you say are served in the state of Alabama through vision loss? Uh, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. <laughs> I'm trying to remember that number, but I'm not very good at that. It's been a while since I looked at it, but... Um, each year we serve s several hundred, um, goodness, I cannot remember the numbers from the last time I looked at it, but our, we have 13 counselors across the state mm -hmm. and each one of them serves a caseload size of around 205 to 220. Oh, wow. I, I'm sorry, 105 or to 120 yeah. on each caseload. So it's it's a great number. Yeah, that's a pretty big caseload there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we've had the opportunity to have a broadcast. Oh, I cannot remember the gentleman's name. It's a really cool guy, but he was own, he owned a couple of vending machines all, along the um, highway system. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, a program that I was unfamiliar with before, but uh, as I understand it, for all the rest stops in Alabama, all the vending machines at the rest stops are owned and operated by uh, someone that has vision loss. Right. It's, it's through our business enterprise program. Yes, the business enterprise it's, program. Uh, the Randolph Shepard Act. Mm -hmm. 
uh, provided that. I, I, this is just a really innovative thing there that I thought was really cool uh, to learn more about. And uh, so if you are traveling in the state of Alabama and you need to rest, please go to the rest stop and uh, use the vending machines there to support uh, the community. And the machines that are in all of the federal state buildings across the state are owned by the, those vendors as well. I didn't know that. So both the highway system and the federal building system. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you guys get hungry, don't necessarily go out the subway. There's some good snacks right where you are. That's right. <laughs> um, today we're going to be talking a little bit more about a personal journey with um, vi vision loss and, and vision impairment. Um, and I kind of want to open it up to you, Mrs. Barber. Um, to kind of take us along your path there. Okay. Well, the vision disability uh, diagnosis that I have is retinitis pigmentosa, also known as RP. And it is a deterioration of the retina. Uh, as long as I can remember, um, I, well, I was five when I was diagnosed. My parents noticed that I was not picking up on things they tried to point out to me, couldn't see them. So, you know, we go to the eye doctor and I'm diagnosed with that at a very young age. I was in the first grade. And so the journey began right there. Um, now, were you noticing that you were having a little difficulty? Maybe some things around the house that... Um... I wasn't at that time. It was more things like seeing an airplane in the sky. Okay. So it was far away. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe the parents are like, okay, glasses or something right, like that. Right, right, right. And they always tried to fit me with glasses, but I never could see an advantage mm. of with them on or off. So I was bad not to wear them and they would encourage me to wear them, but they didn't help. Okay. Uh, so, um, so the vision was, you know, pretty good in the beginning. I would say probably 20 over 40. Uh, when I was young. Now, for anyone that's unfamiliar, 20 over 40, what exactly does that mean? Well, the 20 is what you can see from 20 feet away. Okay. And then the, the number on the other side is what someone with normal vision can see at 40 feet. Okay. What you might see at 20 feet with corrected lenses, they can see clearly at 40 feet with normal vision. Gotcha. Uh, I appreciate that clarification because I was unfamiliar with that. Mm -hmm. So at, even at five years old, at a young age, um, the vision, your vision was kind of 20, 40 there. Yes. Yes. Which isn't bad. No. Isn't bad. But it's, it's bad enough not to be able to see things at a distance. Mm -hmm. And so with that diagnosis, they told my parents that they suspected that I would be legally blind by the age of 16. Now, when you say illegally blind by the age of 16, uh, that makes me think of kind of a degenerate disease there yes. where it's, and how did that feel at the time? Well, at the time being young, it didn't register yeah. that much, but as I got a little older, I was in denial. Mm. I know that's what it says, but that won't happen to me. That happens to other people, but it won't happen to me. So, um, and my parents didn't, did not tell me that. Oh, really? No, they didn't tell me. I mean, they told me the diagnosis, but they didn't tell me that the doctor thought I would be blind by the time I was 16. And do you think that comes from more of just wanting to protect? 
you know, their daughter? Or? I think that was some of it, but I also think it was because they didn't want me to use it as an excuse for failure. Oh, I like that. So uh, holding those were, high yes, expectations. They were encouraging and supportive and it just wouldn't let me use it as a crutch. Yeah. Um, so did you start noticing um, that your vision mm -hmm. loss was continuing to go down that path as you got older? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I struggled to get a driver's license, but I did. Yeah. Um, I had to uh, get a, a letter from my doctor stating that I could drive, that I could see well enough to drive. Had to convince the examiners at the Aaliyah office <laughs> that I could do it. But I did get a driver's license. And um, when I was in high school, I started having what I called episodes of vision loss. And it was really strange and the doctors could not explain it either. But at times, unexpectedly, my vision would just blur. Would it be total, you couldn't see anything at that point? I, mean, I could see, but I couldn't see anything clearly. Hmm. I could still walk around without a cane. Um, I just couldn't see uh, the like, cat on the back porch yeah, or print or the TV clearly. And it would stay that way for a time. Sometimes it was three or four days. Sometimes it was a week. And then it would clear up. But every time it cleared up, it wasn't as clear as it was before the episode. Okay. Now, did those episodes, did you notice that they were around the time of... Um maybe a lot of stress or, or any triggers to those episodes or they were I never did. Mm -hmm. It just happened out of the blue. Mm -hmm. I never knew when it was going to happen. And it was, it was uh, frustrating because there was schoolwork to be done and, um, you know, activities to do. Yeah. You have a life, you're living a uh -huh, life here and this uh -huh. is th throwing a wrench in your activities. It really, it really did. Um, but I had great teacher support in high school. It took them a while to get it, but, you know, they did. And, you know, when I was in school, that was before the word accommodation was coined. Yeah. And so the accommodation that I received in school uh, in the 60s and 70s was sit at the front of the class and borrow your friend's notes. Oh, okay. So that was, that was it. Now, did that help at the time? Where you yeah, could it always notes. helped if, if I did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't like sitting at the front of the class. Yeah. Um, but uh, it did help. Um, that's all I had. And then, um, you know, the support at home. Mm -hmm. um, it was difficult to do assignments at home, especially if I tried to do them at night. Mm. Reading, literature. Now, were there a type of accommodations at that time where there were uh, audio files of the book? No. Those types of things? Mm -mm. So you're really navigating this new community and looking back, you know, I feel very grateful that we have a lot of these resources today, but oh, back yes. then it was a different world. It was a different world. About the only accommodation you would have had as far as reading was for someone to read to you. Okay. And... Now uh, that didn't do it. You, that goes back a lot to the family, your support, your parents, and you mentioned that you know the parents had very high expectations for you, no matter what. Yes. And if you could talk a little bit about maybe some of the contribution from those expect, expectations and your continued success. Um, well, 
they knew my potential mm. and they expected to see the results of that on report cards. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I can remember getting in lots of trouble one time because I had C's and B's on a report card and no A's. That did not settle well with my dad. <laughs> and um, so I just, you know, did better. I had, I had to do better than that. So I graduated from high school in the you know, top of my class, uh, beta club, honors, that kind of thing. So um, I just, I couldn't disappoint my parents. Yeah, I think that's a, a big um, thing is to have those high expectations for the people that you love and in your family and to kind of hold them there mm -hmm. uh, and because you know they can get there. Yes. Now you mentioned you were having some B's and C's, no A's on the report card, <laughs> did not go over well. Um, was a lot of that because of the vision loss or was it some other things going on? Or would you say most of the, the drop in grades at that point was because of the vision loss? A lot of it was vision loss, but some of it was your typical teenager lackadaisical yeah. attitude at the time. But you know, my, they got that straightened out yeah. <laughs> pretty easily. <laughs> now, I ask if some of it was um, in reference to the vision loss, because my follow-up question then is what strategies did you start to implement to make sure that you didn't fall behind in school? Well, my parents insist, especially my mother, insisted that I bring home my books from school every day. And she took the time to sit with me to do my homework. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was structure. It was expectation. Mm -hmm. um, so just learning to do things that might be different than the way other people had to do it. Mm -hmm or could succeed doing it was, uh, you know, probably the beginning of, of why I'm structured today. Mm. So. Yeah. And sometimes we hear like the challenges that we go through in life, give us that confidence and help us mold. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard stories from friends and, and other families where maybe some of the challenges that they've had early on in their life because of a disability have made them stronger and they're able to over able to overcome um, bigger steps later in life as opposed to people that haven't had those challenges. Um, it kind of hardens them a little bit uh, and mm -hmm. makes them go through there. Mm -hmm. Now, these strategies that you're talking about, um, you know, your parents, your mom really sitting down with you, going over your homework and the material. Sounds like a lot of support in the home, but what about at school? Did you also have that support from an assistant or, or a teacher to do the test or to absorb the information in school? Not in high school. Yeah. I didn't. Um, it was new to teachers. They had never had someone with a visual mm -hmm. disability in their class. I was probably a senior in high school and I went to a vocational training school for half of a day and you know I was having the one of those episodes mm. and it was hard for me to complete an assignment and the teacher just couldn't understand it and she and I had a sit down and we talked and she said after that conversation she said I, I understand now but they didn't know what to do still uh, just had to just 
muddle through it. Yeah. And it sounds even like you're going to school, but a lot of your education might have been more homeschooling at that point. Um, from Kind of, sort of. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, all right, so you're graduating at top of your class, um, overcoming all these challenges in high school. You have your driver's license. And then uh, typically what you'll see is a transition from high school to maybe a college or into the work environment. What did that look like for you? For me, it was high school to marriage. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations, <met> my... <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I met my husband in high school, and um, and we got married uh, right at the end of my high school years, and we grew up. We've we've grown up together, and he's very supportive of the work that I do and um, just you know my life the way it is. Um, so I got married. And I did not work immediately, but about a year later, I did uh, start to work at UAB, and it was just clerical type work. That was the training that I got at the vocational center that I spoke of earlier, mm -hmm. clerical. So that was what I expected to do for my life was just clerical. Now, was there, were there supports in that employment opportunity for you? As a matter of fact, that was my first experience with what is now known as the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services, which I work for. Um, I didn't, I, we were not aware of the services while I was in high school. And my mom did research and found adult vocational rehabilitation and started the connection. Um, the very first person that I met through the program was uh, Sue Shulgin, Sue Shulgin, and she was a, back then was called a rehabilitation teacher or rehab teacher, and those are teachers, professionals that will come to your home and teach you independent living skills, mm -hmm. and they'll teach you how to read braille, um, anything that will help you with your daily living skills inside your home, mm -hmm. and so I got started through her and got connected with a counselor at the time. And this was probably in 1981. And they helped me obtain that first position at UAB. And how did that onboarding go for UAB? Um, did you feel like they were very uh, arms wide open? Yes, they were. And your uh, peers at work? Um, very friendly. Yes. Okay. Still have a dear friend that I met then. A couple of them, actually, mm -hmm. that I worked with during those years from 1981 to 1985. Now, were there any um, assistive tech that you would utilize <laughs> on the job? There was none. Yeah. There was none. We've uh, we spoke with Mr. Carl Wade, who's a retired state trooper, um, and there was an incident where um, they were going after an individual in a house and there was an explosion, a gunshot, and he had vision loss. Um, but he, after he recovered, he was able to go back into work with some assistive technology at the, mm -hmm. the state trooper office. And I thought that was a really uh, cool story there that the, the state trooper's office was accommodating him and whatever he needed to get him back, um, on the mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. so. That's great. Um, this for me was all pre- Pre-assistive technology. Yeah. Pre-rehab act. <laughs> so you, you were kind of maybe 
one of the first few that, that were through ADRS and getting into employment and vocational, those kinds of things. Um, I imagine it's grown quite a bit since then. <laughs> I think it has. Yeah. So you're at UAB um, and you're doing some clerical work there. About how long uh, or, or any, yeah, go ahead if you could kind of take us from yeah, that point. Yeah. Um, well, I held three different positions while I was at UAB. Um, started out working, dealing with insurance, inpatient type insurance claims. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to the college area and I worked in the, let me think, what was the name of that office? It's been <laughs> a long time ago. Um, the graduate school where, where people apply for graduate school and you know, you, you, you get all of their records to make them eligible, mm -hmm. um, did that. And then I went back to the hospital setting and I worked in the Lurling B. Wallace Cancer Institute as just clerical mm -hmm. help there. And that's where I was working when I was uh, expecting our first child. Yes. And during that time, my vision loss plummeted from low vision to legal blindness. Do you, it was during the time of pregnancy? Yes. Is that something that you hear about? You do. It's something I would have never thought about. Yeah. So you'll see um, a drop in, in vision during pregnancy for a number of individuals that have RP RP. Yeah. I don't know about other diagnoses, but with RP and, and many women that I have spoken with, uh, it, it's the same story. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. I feel like it's the body maybe pulling nutrients to the baby or something. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I don't know either. And no one can explain it. Yeah. So how did that make you feel? I mean, you're going through this, you're, you're a mom, soon to be expecting mom here, you're working, and then you go from, you know, vision loss to blindness. Very, what? very devastating. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't drive anymore. And I lived 35 miles from the place I was working. And I live in rural Shelby County <sighs> in Alabama. Uh, there's no, pub still today, there's no Uber, there's no <laughs> Lyft, uh, there's no sidewalks. I live in the country. And um, so I had no, I had no choice mm. then. There was no assistive technology. There was no RAVE program like we have through our agency now. And that stands for retaining a valued employee. Um, none of that existed back then. So I came out of work and was on social security disability. Yep. Hated it. Mm. Hated every minute of it. Tell me about that because it, some people will stay there and that, go ahead. I, I, I can't figure out why they can be satisfied yeah. with a meager disability income. But that's just me. Yeah. And I think it's important to contribute back to society in a meaningful way. And that, that means meaningful employment, getting back out there. It does. Personal fulfillment and um, satisfaction is just, it's important to me. Yeah. When you lay down at night, you have to be happy with your day. And I think a lot of that is for me and, and for others is providing and giving back to society through employment in a meaningful way and helping others. Right. Um, so 
UAB was not an option because you didn't you couldn't drive there. There was no public transportation, mm-hmm. no like Uber and Lyft, as you were saying. <clears throat> not even a taxi. <laughs> and how many months into your pregnancy did this sharp decline in vision happen? About halfway. Yeah. Probably about halfway. That was in November, and my first child was born in April of the next year. Mm-hmm. So. It was difficult. Um, you know, I went from working, driving, interaction with uh, coworkers to being at home, mm-hmm. expecting a baby, scared to death yeah. with all that, uh, uh, not being able to see well, not you know, not being able to drive anymore, having to depend on others to uh, get me where I needed to go. Uh, it was a huge adjustment. Well, I imagine it kind of feels like a little, a loss of freedom of independence. It definitely was. And, you know, not being able to go to the store when you want to, and maybe, you know, waiting on your husband to, to be able to drive those types of things. Right. Um, now at home, while, <clears throat> when you stopped working at UAB and you're at home expecting, and even after becoming a mother, were there some home modifications that you had to do to help navigate the house? Or were you pretty familiar with everything where it was? I, I was, and I still had vision, functional vision at the time, legally blind. I couldn't read standard print anymore, could not drive, but I could still navigate my surroundings without using a cane and I could read large print uh, with good lighting. Uh-huh. Um, so <sighs> I was still faking it. Tell me what you mean by that. <laughs> I was hiding the fact that I couldn't see well okay. and I got really good at it. Um, so I didn't tell a lot of people mm. that you know, I just, I just couldn't see well. It just, I didn't share that much because I thought it made me feel, it made me different and I didn't want to be different. Mm. And it wasn't as accepted then uh-huh. as the awareness is greater now yeah. than it was then. But um, it was, it was a continuous vision loss. It was very um, you know, progressive, but slow. So in my home, as you mentioned, uh, the only adaptation I made was some, some labeling okay. to appliances. Um, maybe the, the thermostat on the house. It was that little slide feature yeah. where you just slide it up or down yeah. back then. And so, uh, you know, I had a little um, dot on it that showed me the temperature, the normal temperature. Mm-hmm. So I could bump it up a little bit or bump it down a little bit. So these are some minor adjustments that you're doing in the house, but mm-hmm. nothing, nothing major on my stove. You know, it wasn't digital. It was the dial. So I had a little dot on the 300 degree, the 400 degree, the 500 degree. <laughs> so estimating in between those was 350, 450. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very uh, minor, low tech, we'll mm. say, adaptations are, are all, that's, that's all I used for years, mm-hmm. for, for but years. It, it made a difference in being able to 
you know, get around the house and, and do the things that you enjoyed doing. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk a little bit about what you were saying as of kind of not wanting to speak out. Um, I feel like a lot of my friends um, in the community have that same feeling where they maybe they feel like an outsider, mm -hmm. especially early on um, and kind of secluded. But I've noticed big changes um, in who they are and their confidence when they kind of break out of that shell and fully embrace themselves um, and get a good peer group, support group, those types of things. What did that process look like for you in communicating with others about your vision loss? I did not join any support groups. Um, there were some available to me, but because I lived so rural, I didn't have transportation mm -hmm. to get to those groups. I remember the first person that I spoke with who was um, doing remote work from home, what we would call remote work now. Um, she was a medical records transcriber, I think. Mm -hmm. And she was working out of her home. They would send her cassette tapes and she would record, uh, type up the notes and send them to the doctor's office. But I didn't have anybody. Uh, I do have one other relative who has the same disease that I have. And he was very encouraging to me mm. at the time. But he was probably the only other person who I spoke with who knew what I was dealing with. And did he kind of become a mentor in a way? He really was. Uh, not someone that I spoke to on a regular basis, hmm. but he was an encourager. And I remember him saying, Dana, I want you to see this piece of equipment that I use, and I want to encourage you to learn Braille. And so I did. And um, so, you know, that was a good connection and, and mentorship for mm -hmm. sure. But I just didn't, my whole world was sighted. Mm. And outside of work, still, my whole world is sighted. But I just imagine you not wanting at that time, not really speaking about it to anybody. And here we are today and you're speaking about it to the world is a huge kind of change there and being able, you know, wanting to speak about it. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say to somebody that is maybe a little bit younger and they're experiencing some early disability and, and it will progress? What would you say to them to help them through that process of wanting to speak about it? Don't hold back. Don't, don't do as I did. Uh, there are services out there that can help. There are people across the world you can talk to. If you're interested in a certain type of employment, there are connections out there where you can talk with someone who is, uh, if you want to be an engineer, there are blind engineers. Mm. Um, talk to people, get involved with the consumer groups around the state that, um, focus on blindness mm -hmm. and uh, it's okay not to be able to see. It's, 
it's not a severe disability, it's a severe annoyance. <laughs> but you have to you have to overcome that and you have to adjust to it. Because it's not fun and it's not easy. But if I can do it, anybody can. I promise you. And today we have a little bit more aware uh, environment and community yes. and society. And um, so I think there's a lot more opportunity for that today. There definitely is. Uh, there are more blind people now out in the community working than ever. And we, we need to increase that number and we're working on it. <laughs> but every, we, we have, there are jobs and there are resources to help you get the education and the training that you need to be successful in those jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can start at a much earlier age, a lot in the, the school districts. Oh, yes. And we, I, I get to be involved with a lot of transition programs through the work that I do. And so we're, we're working with students aged 14 to 21, and we're helping to prepare them for life after high school, whatever that might be. It's such a critical transition there. It is. Going from the education to living in the community, long-term living, those types of things, setting up employment. I want to get back a little bit. You mentioned that you kind of, um, you know, put some dots around the home with a the thermostat and with the oven, those types of things. Are those types of things, uh, do you still utilize that stuff today or is, is the vision loss gone down since then? Yes, my vision loss is total blindness now. Can you see shadows or a difference in, um, I don't know how, how to describe that, but a difference in night and day, I guess. Not always. Okay. <laughs> I see no shadows. I see no color. Um, sometimes I can tell if a light is on. Mm -hmm. um, but... I can't always tell if it's sunny or cloudy. So I have no functional vision. Gotcha. Um, and you, I imagine at that point, it's more of feeling the heat. Is it sunny yes. out um, or yeah. is it cloudy? Yeah. Those types of things. And I do still have um, optical, like cells in my vision. Uh -huh. And so I'll squint if the sun's really bright. Okay. I can, I can squint, but it's not because I'm trying to see. It's just that reaction. It's I a guess. natural reaction there. Mm -hmm. Now, has there been anything new on the forefront um, when maybe surgeries in the eye that you've heard of? Um, there are, there is a procedure. Um, it's called the Argus II, and it's an artificial retina process. Mm -hmm. They actually place a microchip in the eye and it works wirelessly with a micro video camera okay. that sits on the um, the leg of a pair of, of uh, sunshades. Uh -huh. And it records what an electronic image mm -hmm. of what you're seeing. And it's available to people with RP, and it's especially designed for those who have had vision and lost vision because the electronic image that it sends is not just like what you would see with your eye, but if you've seen before, it's an image close enough that you would recognize what mm -hmm. it is. 
Um, so they're, they're, it is developed. It, it is being, um, it is available to people. Um, is it something that you've thought about? I have thought about it. At this point, <clears throat> it's, the cost is not covered under private insurance. Gotcha. It is covered under uh, Medicare. Uh-huh. And I have private insurance. It right now is in its, it's been around for maybe close to 10 years now, but I still say it's in its infancy. Yeah. Right now it is a black and white image and it's an 18 degree field. So it's small. Okay. So I may look into that at some point. Yeah. But right now, it's not the best thing for me. Yeah, and, and I'm sure it'll continue to get better. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I can get an upgrade if I... <laughs> yeah, so you might want to wait a few yeah. years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I might want to wait to the next phase. <laughs> um, have you met anybody that's had that um, procedure? I have not. I have spoken with people. And what is their had. consensus from it? It's helpful, especially with mobility. Okay. To be able to see the contrast. Say you're walking on a sidewalk and you can see the contrast between the color of the sidewalk and the grass line. Yep. So it, it does help when you walk into a room and you might be able to see the difference in the color of the furniture versus the flooring. Yep. So kind of navigating maybe new spaces, mm -hmm. um, it could it really That's help. That's where out. they say it, it, it helps the most. I bet in another 10 years or so, five or 10 years, it's they're gonna be colorful. Uh, I bet it gets a lot better. degree failed. Yeah. 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 I think that's what they're hoping, but, um, it's kind of amazing. It really is. Yeah. It's amazing. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> like what if, I would think, you know, what if somebody like hacked in and made me see something that wasn't there just to like, <laughs> I can just imagine like my brother or sister messing with me, make sure there's a wall there. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those types of things. Um, Let's go back a little bit further then. And so you're an expecting mom. And what are some feelings that you have going on as a mom um, with some vision loss and just all of that going on at that time? Yeah. Well, everything was pretty normal inside the home. I could still see back then enough to, you know, give my children their medications and feed them and take care of their personal needs. Uh, the biggest issue was that I couldn't drive. Mm. I could not take them to their doctor's appointments without assistance. Uh, you know, I, like you said before, I couldn't even just take them down to the store to get a soda. Mm -hmm. So there were difficulties and frustrations. But um, anyway, and that first child was born. Uh, she had, uh, she was a, a daughter. And she's a wonderful mother and um, wife now herself. Mm -hmm. And then three years later, I had another child, another little girl. Congratulations yes, again. Yes. And she is also a very uh, uh, successful mother and, and, and wife. And um, I'm blessed because now they, eat, they live right beside me. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> we have a little area we call our compound. Uh -huh. And um, so very blessed that they are there and 
I get to see my grandchildren just about on a daily basis. So. Uh, I'm a little jealous. My family's kind of, I just did a road trip up to Philadelphia to visit family. It was like a 15 hour drive, but I have some of my family living in Pennsylvania and some in Mobile. And I wish they were all a little bit closer. I know. I can't imagine. Yeah. Uh, Very blessed. My mother, who will be 90 this year, lives on one side of me and then my children on the other side. So um, I'm able to walk to their houses to see them. I'm definitely jealous. I was having a conversation with my father when I was up in Philadelphia and it was very sobering. It was like if we, I get up there maybe once or twice a year and uh, it was like at our current rate, we'll see each other, you know, maybe 50, 60 more times before we get maybe something happens. Yeah. And that's, that's crazy. I know. Like, I can't imagine that, Alex. Yeah. Life's too short. All right, yeah. I'm going to cry on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you say to um, a mom or an expecting mom that has vision loss on raising um, successful kids? And some pointers there. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, as hard as it was after having children and basically being a stay-at-home mom because of circumstances. It was the absolute best thing. Mm -hmm. I will never regret those years. And as far as an accomplishment, I feel like being able to be at home and be a stay-at-home mom and be so in touch with them and involved in their lives made them the successes that they are today. Mm -hmm. um, so I would just say, Embrace it, um, in, enjoy it, Yeah. and be thankful. Be thankful for that time that you're able yes. to, to spend there. Absolutely. Now, was there anything that they kind of picked up, um, your daughters along the way, to help and the communication or anything like that? Yes, and I smile because I think back. My oldest daughter was about three years old when she realized that I had difficulty seeing in the dark. Uh -huh. And I can remember the first time she took my hand and led me. Oh, wow. And she, she just always took on that role. Of course, being the oldest, and uh, she took on that role of, of being my helper. And my second daughter took that role on later in life, uh, after my oldest daughter was more out and doing her own thing, then it, it was kind of up to my second daughter to step in and do it. And they did. And they helped me with things like uh, balancing my checkbook, mm. um, writing checks, paying bills, mm -hmm. reading the mail, uh, paying for something in the line at Walmart, using my credit card. Mm -hmm. Signing my name. Um, so they kind of adapted and grew into that. And, and they didn't know any different. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think it's really important. I have some family friends that <clears throat> their children are young and they will get into a preschool that is very inclusive, has all walks of life, um, abled, able-bodied, uh, some with disabilities, those types of things. And I think at a young age, it's very important for kids to have that experience of being around everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that'll help our inclusiveness. And like you said, awareness that's been growing. 
but they they took on that role at a young age. Yes, they yeah. do. They just adapt to their environment. Yeah. And I hated it for them a lot of times because even if we went to a birthday party for one of their friends, they would, instead of, say, if we're going to a movie where all the other kids would, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to have these signs on the outside of the theaters yeah. that um, told about the movies that were playing. Yep. And they would, all their friends would run up to there and say, oh, we're going to see this one or that one. Or that. And they would stay back and walk with me. Mm. So I felt bad about it at times, but um, it made them into very responsible adults. Yeah. I could see maybe where someone would say, I don't want to my child to have a negative interaction uh, with peers because young kids can be mean sometimes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And then that kind of leads to seclusion, but that's not the answer there. No. It's getting out and having those experiences, working through them as a team. It really is. It really is. And we always did. We, we went everywhere. We did everything, vacations. Um, we, we, we've, I've never let the blindness um, stop me. Mm. Um, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing and... Uh, over the years and still do, I think, I haven't yet in the last year or this year yet, is water ski. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, the gentleman's name, we did a broadcast with him. There's an adaptive water skiing. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? I have seen it. Um, but do you guys go out on the lake regularly on the weekends? We do. <laughs> yeah. I've, I grew up tent camping uh -huh. with my family and we always had a little boat. So, um, we actually right now have a pontoon boat Yeah, and we don't go every weekend, but we go when we can. And that's just my happy place. Wh which lake do you guys go to? Here at Logan Martin Lake. Yeah. Um, when I first came out here, I joined a few, uh, racing sailboats. So I, I get into the sailboating. Yeah. Um, and I've done a few races out there. It's really fun. Oh, it was, I can remember uh, young, be, being younger and driving across the Logan Martin Dam mm -hmm. and seeing all the sailboats. Yeah. And they were beautiful. They're not huge. They're the perfect size for racing out there, about 22, 24 footers. Um, but it gets very competitive. Mm -hmm, <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's a blast being out there. And I want to get a boat so bad, but I don't have the right vehicle to tow it. So I'd have to like purchase a truck and then I could get the boat. So it's kind of a chicken and egg thing right now. It really is. But I tell you what, in this 90 degree weather, that's all I think about I know. getting out there on the lake. I love it. Um, so you're a stay-at-home mom, and how many years uh, were you a stay-at-home mom? Let me think. Mm -hmm. Well, and then I'll ask about the transition into yeah. ADRS and what that looks like. Um, probably. Uh, okay, my oldest daughter April was 15 years old when I realized that she and her sister Heidi were not always going to come home from school and need me. Mm. And the next question was, okay, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. So I, we had a computer in our home then, but I didn't know how to turn it on. Mm. 
It scared me to death because I thought I was going to hit the wrong button and it was going to explode or something. But I had no, I had no skills. So at that point is when I got involved again with ADRS. Okay. I called my counselor and I said, okay, um, I've got to do something. <laughs> And I feel like to become employed, I've got to have some computer skills. Mm -hmm. And she agreed. And so she said, uh, well, will you consider becoming a student at the EH Gentry facility? As It's a part of AIDB. It's yep. the Adult Training Center. And I said, yep, I sure will. So I enrolled there as a student and mostly for computer classes. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, they said, um, you're going to be bored out of your mind yeah. if all you do day in and day out are computer classes. So will you consider also taking a class to learn Braille and a class to learn how to use a white cane? So I did. Um, so I did that training and that took probably year and a half mm -hmm. Now, so. was that going for like a semester and then summer break semester or was it year round? It's year round. It's a residential school, so you can actually even live there. They have dorm facilities. But I lived close enough and fortunately had transportation. So I was a day student and I went three days a week. Okay. They'll accommodate what your needs are Yeah. there. So I did that and... Um, once I gained those skills, being able to access information using the computer, being able to read again mm. using Braille, and being able to get from point A to point B independently again convinced me that I didn't just want a job. I wanted an education and a career. Yeah. So that was when I decided to, um, to go to college. Yeah. So you're, um, so maybe 33, 34 at this point? 30. 30. Uh, and you're just getting back into college now yes. and, and realizing that you want a career. Yes. That's a huge. Let me think. You might've been closer with your age estimate. Let's see. Yes, I was 30, excuse me, I was 30 when my, when the blindness decre decreased from legal blindness to more total blindness. So okay. yeah, I was more, well, I was 40 years old when I started college. Okay. Yeah. You don't hear about that that often. I know. I thought I was going to be the oldest one there. <laughs> I wasn't, but I thought I was too ancient to go to school with those young folks, but um, and, they and, were encouraging to me, yeah. and I also got a lot of statements from them that I was an encouragement to them. Mm. Now, where did you go to school? I went to school at Central Alabama Community College to begin with. I mostly took classes at the Childersburg campus, okay. and that was close enough to my home, 10 minutes from home, so I had uh, transportation to, to get there, mm. mostly my mother at the time. And um, so I did two years there, and that was really my goal 
And after that, my counselor said, Dana, what's, what's your next move? And I said, well, I don't know. And she said, well, you don't have time just to, just to um, piddle around with it. You've got to make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> so um, then I enrolled at Faulkner University mm-hmm. out of Montgomery. But they, were, they had a satellite class at Central Alabama Community College in Childersburg. Okay. And it was night classes. So um, it was a, one of the, the first kind of distance learning type situations. Yeah. Uh, accelerated learning. So, and it was only 13 months then to finish my BS degree, and it was in management of human resources. Wow, they, they, 13 months, that, that must have been a busy 13 months. It was. It was a lot of work. Uh, it was pretty intense. Um, and talk about accommodations. I'll tell you something that they provided for me for a reader, mm-hmm. and it was a court reporter. A court reporter came to class with me every time. And she took word for word notes and emailed them to me. And then you would have a reader from the computer that would yes, read it off the yes, screen. Yes. That's wow. I use JAWS, which is a screen reading software program. Yep. And it reads anything to me that's on the screen. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a, an amazing accommodation. Yeah. Uh, when I was in junior college, the accommodation I used was a little micro, mini, micro cassette recorder. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I recorded the lectures. And then I went home and I typed up the notes. Yeah. But that was a form of, of learning too, study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good for anyone that's going through school is uh, rewrite out your notes when you get yes, home. Absolutely. It'll help you memorize them it there. It sure does. It sure does. So, um Anyway, and then... Um, now, did you... This was for HR, Bachelor's of uh, Human Resources. Mm-hmm. Did you know, at that point, going back to college, did okay. you know what you wanted to do for a career? I did not. Yeah. Um, I thought I would be a... Eventually, be a Human Resources Director. Yeah. You know? Um, so you weren't quite, sh- quite sure of what exactly that position looked like, but you knew you wanted to go back and get your education and yes. get back in the workforce. Yes, I knew I had to. I knew I would, I could not be idle. Mm. And that, you know, I felt like I would be suicidal if I had no plan, Yeah, nothing to do. Uh, Too much time on your hands is I a bad thing. It. I cannot do that. I can't <laughs> sit still. I, I, I've got to be doing something so um yeah so um so then you you graduate with your bachelor's yes and and then what do you so i graduated with my bachelor's and i start looking at job postings uh-huh. in my and what year was this this was in 2006 okay so every job posting required a vast knowledge of Microsoft Excel. Yeah. Well, I had a little bit of knowledge, but not enough, not what they were requiring. So I called my VR counselor again, and I said, I've got to have some additional training. Mm. So she encouraged me to go back to EH Gentry and get specialized training while I was there in the use of uh, Microsoft Suite 
And um, so while I was there, an opportunity came up for a assistive technology classroom assistant. At Gentry? At Gentry. And I was selected for that position. So that was my first real work mm -hmm. opportunity. And after UAB, because you were at UAB there. Yes, it, yes. But that was so old by this time. Yeah. That was 20 years old. Yeah. And it was not relevant at all yeah. to what was required for jobs anymore. So um, I basically was 44 years old, just out of college, like a 22 year old would yeah. be with a degree, but no, no experience. Mm hmm. So that opportunity gave me real work experience and a connection to people. Mm. Did you feel like you'd been missing that for a little bit? Oh, yes. Yeah. Big time. Big time. But it, it, it gave me a connection to people in the blindness world. Mm. And I connected with people who became mentors for me in the field of blindness. And I met people who, who believed in my abilities. And after that, some other opportunities came my way. And those opportunities were through the Alabama Department of Rehab Services. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for someone well they had realized that a lot of people who are blind were graduating from college with degrees but then were never getting hired yeah so they were looking for somebody who could do some professional placement working with both the individual and the the business the business and so i got connected then with our um business relations consultant program mm -hmm. and and worked specifically they hired me to work specifically with students in high school who had the goal of a college degree and then people who were in college blind and in college still working on their degrees and then those who had graduated from college but were not employed yet mm -hmm. so that was my first employment that was in November of 2006 with ADRS. And I worked in that position for, well, until 2010, late 2010. But in 2009, I started working on my master's degree. Back to school. Back to school. <laughs> um, Auburn University has a degree for to get a program, and it's sponsored through a grant to get your master's in counseling and specifically rehabilitation counseling. And a friend of mine was standing in the doorway of my office one day when I was contemplating this challenge. Yeah. And I said, but I've been out of school and I'm this old and I would be 50 by the time I graduated from college. And she said, Dana, you're going to be 50 anyway. <laughs> and it's, it's, she said, it's not rocket science. You can do this. I never will forget. And that's the day that I decided, okay, I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was the perfect situation. It was um, 
a distance learning situation. Uh -huh. uh, the only on-campus requirement was the first week of every semester on campus. And there was another friend who was gonna, that I worked with, who was gonna also do the same program. So there, there was my transportation yeah. opportunity and uh, to, you know, to be on campus and that support mm. while I was there. It's kind of like a few different things in the universe saying, hey, we should probably do this. These, these, these things are lining up right now. Um, it was uh, God's design yeah. is what I will say. Um, so, so you were at ADRS, decided to go back for your master's. Yes. And going into your master's, did you have a specific goal um, after accomplishing your master's that you wanted to achieve there? Or was it just more for continued education? No, I wanted to move up. Mm -hmm. I wanted to um, do something more for sure. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm having to think. Uh, that was in 2009. And in 2010, while I was still in the program, because it was a two-year master's program, mm -hmm. six, six straight semesters, a position at EH Gentry came available. And it was the instructor for the independent living for the blind classroom. And you remember, I told you, I went there as a student. Yep. One of the first things they did was take me, when I was there as a student, on a tour of the campus. And one of the places we went to was the independent living classroom. And the teacher stood there and she said, well, we do this and this and this in this classroom. And I said, okay. And I turned around and walked away from that. And I said, I won't need to take that class. I could teach that class. <laughs> because I had learned all those skills yeah. in my own home while I was experiencing blind. I had learned how to do things a different way. Well, that was the next step in my employment was the teacher in that classroom. So you said you so could teach that class. Cycle. Yeah. And you ended up teaching that class. I actually did. And I stayed there for five years until 2015. And um, so my position there was a vision rehabilitation therapist teaching independent living skills mm. to adults. Well, here at this location, the Talladega location of ADRS, the vision rehabilitation therapist who did itinerant work retired. Mm. So that's when I was fortunate enough to be selected to come back here and be a vision rehabilitation therapist yeah. here for this area. Mm. And I, well, I'll back up. While I was at Gentry, I did finish that master's degree okay. in counseling. So after I had been here for a short while, the coordinator of blind services retired. And so I was very, very fortunate to be selected for, yeah. the, for the position that I'm in now. Well, and you put in the work ahead of time, preparing for an opportunity to come your way. Yeah, yeah. It was really neat. My employment process has been pretty neat. Um, when I started, I felt like I was at the, the back end of services, helping those to become employed, mm -hmm. uh, which is their ultimate goal. And then when I went to Gentry as a teacher, I was on the very front end of services yeah. because I was helping 
adults who were experiencing vision loss adjust. In the early stages. In the there. early stages. I would have people come in my classroom and sit at the table and cry and say, my, you know, I was a construction worker and glaucoma hit and I've been sitting on the couch now for three years and I've gained weight and I don't feel good and I don't have the income I used to have and I don't know how to prepare my meals and what's the first step there if, if someone is listening talking to somebody talking getting in touch with that counselor who you know many of our counselors are blind themselves and um, but you know you, you you talk with somebody you you become encouraged that you can do these things and you get the training that you need mm -hmm. to do them and you build the confidence that you need mm -hmm. to get outside of your comfort zone and grow a little bit oh my goodness yeah it's a huge adjustment yeah it is a huge adjustment and it took me a long time and hearing just speaking with you today i hear some common themes um of support from family um and then reaching out to counselors at VR, getting into the, the ADRS and VR system, Gentry and AIDB, and the friends that you've made there, the community that you've made there, um, and continuing to expand and grow and, and, and accomplish what you want to accomplish. And always going back, if you need a little, just, you know, you, you saying like friends popping up, like, hey, yeah. you know, you should do this, those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, the the process that ADRS and AIDB, the partnership that these two agencies have together is amazing. They work hand in hand to provide the services that can make you successful. And without those services, without those two entities, I would not be sitting here talking about it today. Mm. It's a, uh, we have no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just it's almost hard to uh, put into words what it means when you can go from not knowing how to turn on a computer. I had um, what do you call it? Typing skills mm -hmm. from back then. But I didn't have keyboarding skills. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the layout of a keyboard. I knew nothing. And they brought me from knowing nothing to I can probably operate a computer about as good as anybody else can. Yeah. Uh, use assistive technology. Um, you know, the things I use every day in my life uh, are you know, the screen reader that I talked about earlier. The JAWS? The JAWS software. It makes everything on the computer accessible. Now, I don't use a mouse like you do because I can't see to hover over whatever it is y'all do to yeah. right click and left click. But I use keystrokes mm -hmm. for everything that I do on the computer. And then um, my iPhone with the voiceover feature. I've heard the iPhone and <clears throat> just Apple in general is very good at accessibility with their it products. Is. It is. Whether it you is. have a laptop or a phone or TV. 
um, it's easy to navigate as opposed to other equipment there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Speaking of, um, what is the one piece of assistive technology that you hold above the others that you're like, I definitely need this. Uh, I encourage everybody to get this. That would be my iPhone. Yeah. Because I can shop from there. Um, I can check my email from there. I can text. I can do anything. Mm -hmm. It's just a handheld computer. I feel like I haven't really experienced what my phone can do in that aspect because uh -huh. I've never tried before. Yeah. Um, but I bet I could do a lot more hands-free stuff with my phone if I spent the time learning. Oh, you can. Yeah. Yeah, it has that Siri feature uh -huh. on it where you can just, I can say, hey, Siri, um, read my emails to me. Yeah. Or read my text or respond to so-and-so's text. I could have used that on that 15-hour drive. Yes. <laughs> oh, and I download books too. How are you enjoying that? Do you enjoy the audiobooks? Oh, gosh. Every day, every day. I've heard there's quite an extensive <laughs> library. Um, do you use iTunes or is it, I use Audible. I use Audible. I've been an Audible subscriber since 2012. Yeah. And then I'm also a member of the National Library Service. And so they have a free book program mm -hmm. for people who are blind. What kind of books do you enjoy listening to? Oh, anything from true true crime to trash so yeah <laughs> anything in between i'm in the middle I, I got it on the way back from uh philadelphia the um biography of um john uh, adams oh yeah uh in the early parts of our revolution that era so i love historical fiction mm -hmm. yeah i think it's important to keep reading i, I love the biographies and the, the true story the true crimes get me going mm -hmm. to listen to a lot of podcasts yes they're <laughs> neat i do too they help me they help me not sleep at night. <laughs> I know. I'll turn a book on to try to go to sleep. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it doesn't work. But especially if you're listening to one of those that's kind of suspenseful. Yeah. And you got Get the, your heart rate up. <laughs> I want to ask about, um, you mentioned that uh, the community was noticing that a lot of individuals are graduating college who are, had blindness, um, but they weren't getting jobs necessary and, and employment. What do you think was a big factor to help um, more individuals receive employment or what, what is, what are the, what could the individuals do to help increase their rate of employment? I think it's better guidance and counseling on the front end mm. when you're being, when you're setting realistic goals. Okay. Um, and looking at what the labor market is for, for jobs in the area. And if, you're willing to relocate um, for the jobs. Like if you are a theater major, you might not want to do that in Alabama. Yeah. And if you, know, if you are, then are you willing to go to LA or Atlanta? That's really funny that you say theater major because my girlfriend is just that. She works at the American Village uh -huh. uh, where they recreate kind of that revolution time period there. Well, you just proved me wrong then. There but are opportunities. Have you heard now. of the American Village before? Yeah. <laughs> have yeah. you been there? Uh-huh. Um, it's a pretty good... I've only been there once, uh, I guess twice, but outside of that, I don't know of many opportunities. Right. Um, but really focusing on what what uh, the business industry is asking of future uh, employees and matching your skill set to kind of go there. Like you could be really interested in the subject like Egypt. I love ancient Egypt. I love learning about the pyramids, mm -hmm. but there's just not really a market for Egyptology. Right. Yeah. right. So I could get a doctor. I mean, 
not so much here in Alabama. So you've got to be, you've got to set realistic goals. Mm. Um, and I think that's the key to it is being connected with um, someone who can guide you in that direction and being open to what is available or mm -hmm. what your what you can do to make it happen. Mm -hmm. so a lot of people who are blind have that support system right there in their own neighborhood and um, they might not have what they need or just be able to access what they need if they're not you know, right here. Mm -hmm. um, so. There are a lot of opportunities for the deaf and blind community here in Talladega. It's kind of the spot in Alabama, and I, I may venture to say the Southeast, just from the resources that are available through ADRS, um, AIDB, Gentry, those types of things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really a, a game changer that I've heard um, from Mr. Dante, from you yourself today, those types of of stories that I hear. It's definitely the place to to get started and and maybe even to stay. Mm. There are opportunities right here. We haven't done a broadcast with Gentry. That's up on my list. I'm going to see oh, if yeah. Kathleen can help that. Um, this is a little bit of a different topic, but something that we see come up in the community is dating with a disability. Mm -hmm. um, how does that look or what does that feel? I, I know you and your husband knew each other um, from a young age. Yes. Um, what would you say to somebody that is kind of going through those teenage college years and, and maybe a little reserved about it? You've got to, you got to let them know. Mm. Um, it's been a long time ago, so I'm thinking back. Um, but you know, we were dating when I would have those episodes that I was talking about, the blurred vision and um, actually, when I realized that blindness was a real possibility, we were dating, and I told my husband that, and it didn't matter to him. Mm. Uh, he knew. He knew what he was getting into, and he's been there to support me all through the years. We've been married for 42 years. Congratulations. You know? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's not all roses all the time but it's a good life and we love each other and he has supported me in uh, my education and you know through raising our children and he's a hard worker and I'm a hard worker so it works yeah and don't be don't be nervous to share um, your personal journey because the right person won't care what's mm -hmm. it saying that the, the right person won't care and those that care yeah, I forget what that is, but when the right person comes along, it'll, it won't matter. Be honest though. Just tell them this is what the outlook is. Mm -hmm. And you know, just because I'm blind don't mean I'm not a whole person. Yeah. yeah. Now what, um, what about some future goals? Um, and what are your goals over the next five, 10 years? Mm -hmm. Well, when I grow up, I want to be retired. <laughs> But um, I, 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 and, and sometime probably with, but within the next five to 10 years, mm -hmm. that's, that's where I'll be. I never intend to interview for another job. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like what I do. And as long as I'm effective in what I do, this is where I wanna be. Mm. So uh, 
somewhere between five and 10 years, probably. Yeah, well, uh, I hope for the community that it's closer to the 10 for their sake. And, <laughs> um, is there any place that you would like to, to visit um, that is kind of on your bucket list or a bucket list item? And it may not be a place or something that you'd like to do. That you're kind of holding off for retirement. Well, there's places that I want to visit. Um, like I said, I read a lot. So Nantucket is a place I want to go. And mm -hmm. I know that's not exotic or anything like that. But I want to see the beaches there. Um, have you ever been know, overseas? I have been on a cruise. Yeah. And uh, gone to Mexico and... Excuse but not, not anything. I haven't done ordinary. much. I haven't done much traveling outside of the U.S. I think it'd be really cool to do that a little bit later. Yeah. So the goal is to be able to sail from one continent to the next, but mm -hmm. that's going to take a lot of training, a lot of confidence. Wow. There. <laughs> <Certain little laughs> I don't things. have anything on my bucket list like that. <laughs> I'd love to circumnavigate the globe at some point, but oh, it, wow. it may take a few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as we kind of come to a close today. Is there anything you would say about um, kind of mental health and disability uh, for someone that's experiencing kind of the early stages of a disability and some of the maybe anxiety uh, or depression that they may feel and how to cope with that? Yeah, you just again, you, you don't have to do it alone. Don't think you do. Don't keep it hidden. Uh, express yourself. Um, you know, if you're the one that is in charge of your destiny, mm -hmm. and there are, are so, there's so much assistance available to you, reach out to me. Um, I can get you in touch with the person in the area of the state where you live to help you navigate through this because you don't have to do it alone. Uh, there's a lot of people in the state of Alabama who are dealing with the same issues you are. And if, um, if you don't know anybody else to talk to, call me. And I can talk to you, I can encourage you, and I can get you started on the right track. Well, with your permission, uh, we'd like to put your number, your office number, and your email in the chat yes. so that we'll have, the audience will have that contact information there. Yes, be glad to. Well, Mrs. Barber, I really appreciate you spending the morning with us today uh, and sharing your story. It's been enjoyable. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. And maybe in another two and a half years, we'll get to do another one. We might get together again. Yeah. Maybe when I retire, you might want to say, well, what's it like now? I will, I'll tell you what, I'll bring the <laughs> sailboat out and meet you guys Ooh. out there. and We'll do one on the water. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Parasailing. That might be something that I would enjoy. That would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of heights, but... That might be a little It fun. don't bother me. I can't see it anyway. <laughs> it's just the experience. Yeah. Uh, well, once again, thank you very much for your time. And uh, at this point, we'll, we'll say see you guys um, tomorrow for our next broadcast. And Mrs. Barber, if you'd like to say bye to the community. Bye, everybody.